Hey everybody, welcome to Ubaldi Reports. Now today I was going to begin by talking how the presidential candidates spoke at the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee. And the only one that missed, that wasn't there, was uh, Bernie Sanders. And I will get into that in a little bit. But before we begin with this, everybody woke up this morning to the horrific terror attack in Brussels, where 31 people were killed and more than 180 people were wounded. Now this was claimed by ISIS. Now, it's kind of ironic that just a few days ago, but the um, Brussels authorities arrested the last known suspect from the, um, the terror attack in Paris, France, four months ago. And authorities have mentioned and reports have been coming out that he was planning to con- conduct other terror attacks. So, and they're thinking that because Belgium was on a, a virtual lockdown, that the, um, they started these terror attacks sooner than they had um, had. had sooner than they had wanted. But the question again, more than 31 people were killed and over 180 people were wounded. Now the question is, what is this, how does this change the presidential election? Now, Belgian, the, the Belgian authorities had said, at least the prime minister of Belgium had stated that he is, they had now declared a war on terror. And this goes in what the president of France had said the same thing after the terror attack in Paris, France. But now, how does this uh, factor into the U.S. elections? Now, when all the major candidates, minus again Bernie Sanders, and I'll get into some of his, his um, subject matters or how he, his thinking on the Middle East, Hillary Clinton, D- Donald Trump, John Kasich, and Ted Cruz all spoke about they are a friend to Israel. Now, the three of the four, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and Ted Cruz, were really kind of stumbling over themselves really to show – because this tends to be a pro-Israeli audience, that who is the better friend of Israel? Who should they trust more than the other candidate? But now before we get into that, as I looked at the transcript from all their speeches, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and well, I would say all the presidential candidates, they all talk about needing to defeat ISIS. Now, when I went through a, um, a speech that Bernie Sanders gave, now he was unable to make it, he had their prior commitments, he went into the complexities of the Middle East. He talked about the dysfunction of government in Iraq. He talked about Iran. He talked about the complexities of the problems we're facing in Syria. And the one thing he did say is he wants to be a strong friend of Israel, but he's going to be neutral between the two sides, where Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and definitely Ted Cruz had stated I am not going to be neutral. I am going to be, this is paraphrasing what Ted Cruz had said, I am going to be a friend of Israel over everybody else. Now the question becomes, especially after this terror attack, is how would these candidates defeat ISIS? Now for months, we've been hearing all the candidates talk about we've got to defeat ISIS and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. Now Donald Trump and Ted Cruz want to use more of the military approach. Now, Donald Trump had stated the problem in Syria with ISIS was a direct result of the U.S.-led invasion into Iraq in 2003. And um, Bernie Sanders said the same thing. The disastrous invasion of Iraq destabilized that country that created the rise of ISIS. Now, that's not entirely accurate and i think they're they're misinterpreting what had transpired now i'm not suggesting here that what we went into iraq mistakes weren't made 
One way they went in, the Bush administration failed to plan for the post-stability operations in Iraq. Everyone's so caught up how we got in, but we didn't plan for its eventuality once we were there. That said, it was very problematic. Now, I served in Iraq in 2005, right before the surge of forces that went in. The biggest thing that helped stabilize Iraq was the fact the Sunni awakening. These are the Ambar Sunnis and throughout that country who've decided to repudiate the Islamic version of Islam that al-Qaeda pushed. So they aligned themselves with the United States. Now, with that surge, Iraq was stabilized in 2008 and into 2009 when Barack Obama took office. Now, President Obama, his whole campaign is Iraq was the misguided war. The real war we should be fighting was in Afghanistan. So he really didn't put much effort. Now, everybody's focused on ISIS and how we got in. But the big mistake, and also a lot of Republicans focused on that President Obama pulled the troops out prematurely. Now, I'll get to that point. But the one mistake that the president made is he put the wrong ambassador. Now, what I mean by that, General um, General Zini, he was a former CENTCOM commander um, in uh, – yeah, former CENTCOM commander up until, I think it's 2000. Yeah, 2000. He was supposed to be the ambassador to Iraq. And at the last minute, his name got pulled. He called General Jones, who was then the uh, national security advisor for President Obama, a former Marine general who was also the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe at one point. And he'd ask him, what's going on? He goes, that's news to me. So his name got pulled and he was then said, well, why don't you, we'll make you ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Well, General Zini says, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I'm not doing that. So President Obama appointed Christopher Hill. Christopher Hill's expertise was Eastern Europe and in North Korea, dealing with the North Korea nuclear issue there. He didn't have any experience or has never even been to the Middle East when he became ambassador to Iraq. Now, he and General Austin had a very tumultuous relationship. They really didn't get along very tough to deal with um, with each other. At that same time, in 2011, the Arabic Spring broke open across the Middle East. You saw the, the governments of Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, which eventually collapsed with the NATO onslaught of an airstrike, and then in Syria. What started in Syria was a bunch of teenagers, graffiti, put some graffiti on a wall that was anti-Assad. Their security forces came very heavy-handedly on these kids. The parents rose up and said, enough's enough. And that's what kind of lit that spark. But because the Arabic Spring hit Syria, and at the same time, President Obama pulled U.S. forces out of Iraq in 2011. Now, in 2010, Vice President Joseph Biden said, this is going to be the singular success story of the Obama administration. Now, President Obama also stated that um, Iraq has a functioning government, but the troops were pulled out sooner than they should have been pulled out. And we, we just kind of left the vacuum that al-Qaeda was able to fill. And Iran, the, the regional power broker now in the region, was able to, uh, to step in. So these al-Qaeda elements that were, we broke the back moved into Syria in that north, northern, um, northeastern part of Syria and set up a caliphate 
back in 2014. Now, since 2014, the United States has been launching military strikes. And presently, we really are looking at everything from a tactical to an operational standpoint. And what I mean by that, we're saying this is what we're going to do militarily, and this is what military units are going to do it. But we've never come up with a comprehensive strategy for defeating ISIS. Now, early on in the first term of the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton and some others wanted to get heavily involved by arming the Syrian moderate forces. The president, and only he knows why, and he basically said in an article entitled The Obama Doctrine in the Atlantic by Jeffrey Goldberg that this isn't something we want to do. And then it came to a red line when the Syrian forces loyal to uh, Bashar al-Assad used chemical weapons. The president said, if, if I see, this is in 2012, if I see the movement or the use of chemical weapons, that would cross a red line. Well, he backtracked from that, and that set the motion where the region has a difficult time dealing with the president because they just don't trust him. And that really set the credibility of the United States. Now, I know this is an overall v- version of what's going on, but take it up to um, to present time with this terror attack in Brussels. We're seeing now we got to decide is President Obama is leaving. So, I'm okay, he's leaving the presidency to the new president, whoever that takes place. Now, the question that needs to be asked and really hasn't been asked in any of these debates, all the candidates, even Bernie Sanders, believes we should defeat ISIS. Now, Bernie Sanders' comments are mainly, I didn't vote for the war. We got to defeat ISIS, but I didn't vote for the war. And he pivots over to um, domestic issues. Now, this latest... Um, foreign policy speech he gave was a little bit more in-depth than he's ever given in the past. He did talk about the problems we there, but no one has has given what the solutions are. Now, the problem the new president is going to have, and I'm breaking this up in a big comprehensive approach to it, the biggest problem they're going to have is that Iran nuclear deal. Now, at the APAC um, conference that all the presidential candidates spoke at, minus Bernie Sanders, the one... 800-pound gorilla in the room is the Iran nuclear deal. Now, the Republican candidates, Trump, Kasich, and Ted Cruz, are all talking about we need to stop this. We need to really tighten up the saying. Even Hillary Clinton talked about that as well. We need to hold Iran accountable. But the question is going to be is because of the way the nuclear agreement was put together, meaning that we had – really tough sanctions on Iran. And that took time through the Bush administration all the way through the Obama administration. But once they signed the nuclear deal, we gave up the sanctions. We let Iran have back about a a little over $150 billion and then to get some of our hostages out. And this is still controversial. We're still trying to figure out the details of this. The Obama administration gave the Iranians another $1.5 billion. So the question is, How are they going to make Iran, if they comply, if they do comply with the the, uh, agreement, how do they make Iran comply? Now, there is elements that the administration is taking Iran to the Security Council because of the recent test fire of recent weeks of the ballistic missiles. But Iran is correct to do what they did because prior to 2010, Iran was barred by the UN Security Council from doing those type of tests. But because of the nuclear agreement, they put such vague language, Iran is able to do what Iran did. 
So there's nothing really we can do. And even if we wanted to, this plays a factor because Russia and China and even the Europeans who've been kind of silent on this have all, once the sanctions got relieved, uh, released or lifted, they sent their business interests into Tehran. So because of the five permanent members, there's no way the United States is going to be able to get sanctions back on Iran because Russia and China have already said we are not doing that. And I almost guarantee the Europeans will follow suit. So the question is, if Iran cheats, how do you enforce the nuclear agreement? What, what, what are you going to do? Now, I know the military option keeps coming up, but that's not a, a viable solution for a simple reason. Iran has multiple targets throughout the country, and that would only set them back a little bit. But no one has given a comprehensive what happens next if that option is utilized. So I know um, Anthony Cordesman from the Center for Strategic International Studies had mentioned, I think last year he came out with a study, if the Israelis or even, let's say, the United States decided to take military actions, what options would um, Iran take? Iran would definitely close the Straits of Hormuz. What would Hezbollah, their Shiite proxy forces in Lebanon do if the West took military action against um, Iran. So a lot of these things have not been thought through yet. But getting back to the terror attack in Brussels by ISIS, now what? Everybody talks about we got to defeat ISIS, but nobody has come up with a comprehensive plan to replace ISIS. Because if ISIS is defeated, the al-Nusra Front, which is an al-Qaeda-affiliated group in the western part of northern Syria will definitely fill the vacuum. So we're not solving, we're, we're solving one problem, but starting another problem. So the question is, none of the candidates, including Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, John Kasich, or Ted Cruz, have ever articulated what replaces ISIS. Because in the Middle East, in this whole complex situation, the United States stepped back. And by us stepping back, other forces or other regional powers stepped in. Now, Turkey, they have their own interests. They're trying to be a bigger player in the Middle East to say, look at us, because they are a Muslim country, not an Arab country, a Muslim country, and they do follow Islam. So what would the, what would their role be? And they don't want to see a Kurdish homeland. And just last week, they had a, t- a terror attack in in Turkey that was committed by Kurdish separatists. So the question is, they have a different approach to the Middle East than than the United States. Now, Russia got involved after um, the United States failed to to pursue the red line. And then just last September, Russia started using military forces to go after the um, anti-Assad forces. They kept saying, we're going to attack ISIS, but most of their attacks have been against the anti-Assad forces. Now, these are the same forces that have been supported by the United States. So they had pretty much been decimated. Now, just recently, as of last week, Vladimir Putin decided to pull some of his forces back because as he's accomplished his mission. And basically he has. After the 1973 Yom Kippur War, then Secretary of State Henry Kissinger forced out um, the Russians. So the Russians have been out of the Middle East because at that time, Egypt was a... a, um, a strong supporter, or they got a lot of influence from the this, um, from Russia. And after this war, so the, um, Anwar Sadat, the leader of Egypt, 
turned around, kicked the Russians out, and came back and support, had support from the United States. So there's a lot. And then you have Russia. Now you have Iran. Iran has its own um, issues with Syria. They support, just like the, the, the Russians, they support Assad. And they use Syria as a conduit to supply their forces in um, Lebanon. Uh, the, the Iranians use their Revolutionary Guard Corps that's heavily involved supporting uh, pro-Assad forces. They have Hezbollah, their Shiite terror uh, proxy army in Lebanon that's now in Syria helping out. Russia provides the weapons, material, and the air campaign. So now that Russia's pulled out, it's strengthened because last year it wasn't so sure that Assad was going to be able to hang on. Well, now he is. So the question then becomes for the United States is, yeah, we could talk tough all we want, but what replaces ISIS? How would we respond to to the Syrian government? Because starting back in 2011, President Obama kept saying that Bashar al-Assad is on the wrong side of history. His time needs to go. And he kept saying Assad should go, but never articulated how Assad should go. And that's still, no one has said that yet. So going from that, then the next question is Iraq. Since the United States pulled out, um, Iraq has virtually become almost a semi-failed state. Iran moved in. Their, uh, their Shiite government is heavily supported and influenced by Iran. So all these complexities, and now you have the marginalization of the Sunnis. Now throw that on top of the Iran nuclear deal, which President Obama had stated that Iran needs to be um, allowed to be, you know, co-equal with Saudi Arabia in the region. Well, that sends shivers up any Sunni because they fear Iran and the Shiites more than they fear the Sunni terror army of ISIS. So these are the things that need to be discussed, need to be analyzed. There's no quick fix. Every presidential candidate since, since um, the, not the Paris peace, since the um, the Middle East peace agreement between Egypt and Israel, brokered by Jimmy Carter in 1978, every president thinks they are the chosen one that's going to solve these issues. There's a very complex issue. So if we want to defeat ISIS, you have to. Think about all these areas that I I mentioned earlier. Now, the one thing is the ideology of ISIS needs to be defeated. That's where they believe that their version of Islam is the way to go. Now, General Sisi, now President Sisi of Egypt, in January of last year, he spoke out against and he really condemned the clerics, the Islamic clerics. And he said, listen, I'm a devout Muslim. But every time you talk Islam, you talk terrorism in the same breath. We cannot allow the Islamic State and their their uh, cronies to push that version of Islam. That's an athem to everything that we believe. You clerics need to stand up and speak out. But the United States had a very problematic relationship, especially ever since the ouster of Mubarak, and that sent tremors through the region. Now, this is all laid out in that article I mentioned earlier by Jeffrey Goldberg in The Atlantic that came out about a week and a half ago. The president and his view was that we need to distance ourselves from the Middle East and focus ourselves on our pivot to Asia. 
But the problem is you can never disassociate ourselves from the Middle East. There's too much at stake, if, especially with the civil war in Syria, with all the refugees spilling over into Europe. And now they're starting to find out that some of these terror groups embedded themselves into the refugee population going through Europe. And also a lot of refugees are spilling over into Jordan. Jordan can't afford it. It's really affecting their their stability. So if Jordan go, that puts direct pressure on the United, I mean, on Israel, on the West Bank, because that's where Hamas and Gaza is, or Gaza Strip, where the, um, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas are located. So now you're seeing ISIS sympathizers in or aligned in um, the, um, the Sinai, which is also one of the three choke points. There's like seven choke points, economic choke points in the world. Three of them are located in the Middle East. That is the Straits of Hormuz, the gateway to the Red Sea, right around Yemen, and also the Suez Canal. This is where majority of the oil flows. Now, the United States doesn't get as much oil as it once did because now we became almost a net exporter of energy But at the same time, oil trades on the international market. Any disruption in one area affects somewhere else. So as more and more information comes out about this terror attack in Brussels and and Belgium, the question becomes is, what do all the candidates, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, John Kasich, and Ted Cruz, what is their view? What is their strategic view or vision in defeating ISIS. Now, we can thump our chest and say, we're going to go after them, we're going to go after them. I remember those are the same arguments that were made after 9-11. Those are the same arguments that were made after San Bernardino. And now it's probably going to be the same arguments now, but nobody has given a comprehensive approach because if you use the military, this is someone's sons and daughters. Now, none of the candidates have... Anybody that served in the military or have anybody they know is in the military. Donald Trump was the only one that was old enough to be a, a served during Vietnam, and he had four deferments. He has two sons. They're not going to join the military. So the question becomes, now this isn't a rant against Donald Trump. It's just fact. Everybody talks, we can thump our chest, but what is their vision? And this goes to the Democratic candidates as well. We can't relitigate the Iraq war. Everybody voted for that war, including Secretary State, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the Vice President of the United States Joe Biden, Secretary of State John Kerry, and those two also voted against the first Gulf War, then came back and voted for this war. Why? Dianne Feinstein voted for it. Chuck Schumer voted for it. Harry Reid, the minority leader, voted for the war. Everybody, after it didn't turn out well, then they started to change their mind and justify why they voted that way. I was misled. But we can't relitigate the war. This is the situation we are in now. we got problems throughout the Middle East. A lot of these governments are teetering. What do we do about the civil war in, in Syria? What do we do about the civil war in Libya? How are we going to defeat ISIS? What replaces ISIS? What about Iraq? What about our allies? How do we re-engage our allies after the Iran nuclear deal when none of the allies trust the United States. And it's the old adage, our enemies don't fear us and our friends don't trust us. 
And the question is, just because we pulled back doesn't make the world nervous. It terrifies the, the, the rest of the world if the United States becomes disengaged. So my final point is this. What are the Democratic and Republican vision for U.S. foreign policy in defeating ISIS so we can prevent what happened in Brussels? And what is their vision for the United States and, and foreign policy? Do you believe we should be engaged, disengaged? How are you going to work with our allies when we have a, a problematic relationship with all our allies because of the policies emanated by the Obama administration? This isn't me you know, blaming him. This is just facts on the ground. So the question is to prevent what happened in Brussels, in Belgium today, and we now know if there's going to be subsequent. What is the vision for the, all the candidates? If they become president, what would they do and how would they push their views through it? Instead of thumping the chest and saying who's stronger than the other or who supports this country or not, what would they do? So these are the questions we need to ask our presidential candidates. These are the questions the media needs to ask. Quit playing favorites and really ask the tough questions. And when they answer it, follow up. Well, that doesn't make sense. You said this. What would you do? How would you do it? What role do you play? Because everything doesn't have a military option. And I get a little annoyed when everybody uses the military option or nothing at all. We have so much on our plate. And the military came up with an acronym called DIME. Stands for Diplomatic, Information, Military, and Economic. And then they included financial, intelligence, and law enforcement. This is all applied to how we deal with the world. So the question again is, what would these candidates do to defeat ISIS and the threats that are facing America? What is their vision for U.S. foreign policy? So again, challenge your elected officials, challenge the media, challenge these can these candidates, be informed of what's going on. Because if we don't, we're going to get a president that may not be up to the challenge and we can, we'll, we'll be stuck with that person for another four years. So let's really pay attention because this is our government. And if we don't take part, we're going to get the government that we deserve. So again, keep listening. Tell your friends about Ubaldi Reports. I'll try to keep talking about these issues that are facing us today. If you get a chance, go to Amazon or any of the major booksellers like Barnes & Noble. Get my book that I have out. It's a bestseller on Amazon called The New Business Brigade. Why businesses need to hire veterans and the untapped resource they represent. You can listen to my podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Let me know what you think. Let your friends know. You can go to my website, Ubaldi Reports. Leave, uh, see what I've got there. See what's posted there. Leave some uh, comments and what you want to hear, what you want to see. And we'll keep um, challenging Washington because this is it. This is our government. If we don't do it, who will? So thanks for listening to Ubaldi Reports. Let everybody know. And thank you for listening. And keep listening.